It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. What do you think of when you hear the term artificial intelligence or AI? Well, if you're off in the science fiction world, come back to Earth as AI is poised to become a key part of schools and learning. My guest today is on the cutting edge of creating a curriculum platform that uses expert systems and natural language processing technologies to help K-12 teachers design pedagogically effective curriculum and instruction. He is the CEO of the education technology company, Open Curriculum. That's opencurriculum.org. And his book, Artificial Intelligence in Schools, a guide for teachers, administrators, and technology leaders has just been published. And let me tell you, you have to get it. Please welcome Varun Aurora. Thank you, Nancy. Thrilled thrill to be here. I'm very excited about our topic today because, you know, even though I began my career as an educator, I, I did take this left-hand turn in the um, early 80s and became a programmer analyst. And I was working in this multinational company on the cutting edge of a lot of things. And, and one of the most interesting projects was voice recognition. And so it was just the beginnings. But we used to carry this computer to happy hour to see how well it would do. And I have to say that after several drinks on our part, it was having a hard time conversing with us. So then when I pursued my master's in computer science, I wrote a compiler for an artificial intelligence language and was creating, uh, you know, this idea of an artificial intelligence language. So you're talking my language here. This is, this is very exciting. This is taking me back to my roots uh, because then I returned to the world of education to reinvent the classroom with the promise of what technology can do. Varun, give our listeners an overview of what artificial intelligence is today and how we see it in our everyday lives. So from the very beginning, we've been trying to emulate human actions and um, trying to imitate the the thinking that goes on in, in human brains because we're either trying to, and this is a thing that many people don't understand when, when we conventionally understand AI uh, through through pop culture references is we obviously understand that we we've been trying to um, understand human thinking, but the goal is to replace humans. But the on the early days, one of the other core ideas was to figure out how humans think and work to eventually improve um, human practice, human thinking. So that the goal was was to was to enhance um, human abilities. Uh, which, if you think about it, the human brain, even today, remains a black box. We've, we've done a lot of research um, in understanding the brain through neuroscience, but we're still not very far in understanding every last detail, which is why AI today is a loose um, attempt at trying to mimic the human brain. There, you know, uh, Most of the recent advances in, in the space of the uh, subdomain or the core subdomain of, of AI, which is called machine learning, uh, come in this world of neural networks, which are again, a, a, an attempt to model the neural networks of the human brain. We're not in the middle of this in that it's not the craziest boom moment right now. The boom happened a few years ago, and now we're just pushing the bounds on what we can do with these existing techniques, adding more data, adding more computers to process that data, trying different um, techniques around the same core ideas around modeling artificial neural networks. And so 
this is the moment we are in. It somewhat builds on your amazing work in the 80s, Nancy. So thank you for that. And we, we might see something different in the future. But we are at a stage where we've been able to accomplish things that can significantly reduce human effort. And the, the goal in the next few years you will see is trying different ways to apply these same techniques that have been figured out. So it's a special moment. It's been a special moment for the past 10 years. It's not had the impact on education it once promised to. And I don't, I truly don't believe that's going to happen within the next two decades. There are much more fundamental problems we are solving that are not solved by these techniques that uh, artificial intelligence has, has, has given to us or the research community has given to us. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's given us hope and, and, and what's life without hope, right? Absolutely. I, I you know, it, as you're talking, I'm thinking, um, I, wrote a book on executive function and executive function is all about the higher order, you know, the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is behind your forehead. And it's the higher order part of the brain that separates us from lower organisms. And in doing my research on the prefrontal cortex, it turns out that scientists were only first able to map the workings of that part of the brain, which to me is very connected to AI in the late 1970s. So, Fundamentally, when I was just getting into that AI world, like we didn't even really know about the part of the brain that handled it. And now you have access to a lot more information about that part of the brain. And we're and still just getting started. It, it's, it's so exciting. And, and then what's interesting to me is you also wrote this book on artificial intelligence in schools. So what was your inspiration and journey in writing that book? Yeah, it's funny because I was uh, very um, enthusiastic over over the past two decades on keeping up with what was going on in, in the, the world of AI. I was in no way pushing the boundaries at that point. I was uh, purely trying to keep up and keeping up in this in this space is, is difficult. It's just it changes so fast every day. Um, and on the other hand, I pretty much convinced myself that my career was to work in education uh, to make some dents on how curriculum is designed around the world, uh, how it is reused, how it is, how it transcends borders. And so um, there came a point where, you know, being kind of keeping one foot in each of these worlds, I was, I was looking at, you obviously, everyone understands that the technology world does not truly understand the lives of educators, the goals of learning. Everyone kind of generally acknowledges that. But what many people don't acknowledge is that around 2015, 2016, when I when I was having the initial thoughts of writing this book, everywhere I saw a conversation about AI among educators, I I, I think it lacked like like nuance and understanding of what AI was. It it felt like there was a battle and and there was it was it was teachers versus AI, and it was uh, robots or nothing. And I said. I know this world and, and it's it's filled with subtlety, it's filled with nuance, it's filled with human design. There is no there is no perfect singular machine system. It's 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 got a lot of human input and design. And like intuitiveness. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and so I said, you know, I, there is there is no future I can imagine where if we want to support learning that that these two worlds are kept separate. And I didn't think that the, 
that the magical solution of the future was more technologists figure out how um, learning should be designed, how curriculum um, is made high quality, how classrooms are made more effective, how pedagogy is made more impactful. I, I believe that educators on the cutting edge are people who want to push themselves beyond just doing um, their day-to-day -day job, had the intent and capability to figure out some of these little, these details of AI so that they could start rationalizing, they could start making decisions, they could start being a part of the conversation, and, and most importantly, start asking for things that they believed were truly valuable rather than the next thing that looks like every other app. And so I said, you know, this 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 is monumental. This is difficult. I'm, I'm not the guy who's trying to do this. So I'm just going to try to create a blog post introducing some of these core ideas to teachers. And, you know, Nancy, how blog posts that never end, like they just keep going on and on because you have to say so many things. So this was one of those blog posts that became, was three pages originally, became 10 pages. The eternal blog post. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I showed it to my friend and he's like, I think you're writing a book here. So I was like, okay, now that I'm writing a book, I have to do justice. I have to go down into, into a lot of details. That's but awesome. I'm, yeah, but I'm still going to speak to teachers i'm still going to speak to educators the people i understand the people i work with the closest i'm going to try to bring this world to them uh and and see if if if, if any of it makes sense uh or, or or they can they can use it so you know most of the book focuses on introducing these ideas and in the end i dedicate a whole chapter to saying okay now that i've told you about what's going on in ai what can you do about it so the goal was always i i i'm not i'm not here to um push the bounds on AI or, or make you uh, kind of uh, admire it beyond it needs to be. I just want you to be a part of this conversation. I want you to start asking difficult questions and I want you to be better decision makers. Well, I, I loved where you mentioned teachers wanting more or going to that next level. And uh, in designing our, you know, as an educational consultant at I, IDE Corp, we design learner active technology infused classrooms. And it's a framework to put students in charge of their own learning and really shift teachers to being facilitators. So one of the things that I say, which you know some people find is a tad radical, everything you need to learn in terms of content, skills, concepts, it's already on the internet. Like we don't need teachers to create those lessons. We need them to create pathways for students to get to those lessons, but it's more than just the taking in the content. Now it's about the higher order thinking, the analysis, the synthesis, the things that typically computers have not done. But it sounds like you're working in a world where, but computers can also help us with that. And what it does is just keeps taking the level of teacher higher from simply the disseminator of information, which now the internet can do, to that critical thinking mentor, if you will, which now we can use technology for it takes that teacher to an even higher level of overseeing this process through which students learn, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 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 absolutely. In fact, like I, I start off the book by describing that, look, AI is at a place where it's not close to as smart as humans in a lot of the, the, the process and actions and thinking we do. But what it can do is solve these 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 questions or 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 or, or do what humans do in less than one second. That, that's kind of the test here. Uh, AI is at the point where it can do a lot of thinking. And You're going to speed me up, is that it? 
Yeah, yeah. And 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 somebody and somebody told me that, you know, teachers on a daily basis, this was some research report, I'm forgetting the context, but they said teachers on a daily basis make over 15,000 micro decisions. And so what you want to do is free up the teacher's mind from making these micro decisions that that are repetitive, that are mundane, that you know they don't they don't spend a lot of time thinking about. But then that frees up their time to to think about uh, higher order learning, uh, critical thinking, student growth in general. You can do that. that with the amount of micro tasks we we require teachers to do, either procedurally or even if it is has if even if it has fundamental learning value. It's just I think we we require way too much of of humans today than uh, is acceptable. So the goal is to alleviate teachers from doing a lot of the mundane stuff. And I love that. I love that. I love that because I don't think administrators and district administrators who are making decisions about what teachers will be doing in their classrooms understand cognitive load and that you just keep putting more, you know, do this, follow this. Here's a pacing guide. Here's a program. Here's a this, here's a that. And then you have to facilitate the learning and look for this and look for that. There's a tremendous amount of cognitive load and then cognitive overload that occurs in the brain that we need to just diminish. And we do a lot I, I of think the single single largest cognitive load for any profession in the world today. I think if you if you look at professions and teaching with that lens, you will have not just a newfound appreciation. You will go like WTF are we doing with these humans? Like this, <laughs> this is an experiment that's gone on too far. You right. know? And we do that work with teachers to reduce cognitive load for students because if students have too much cognitive load in taking in information, they won't learn anything. Absolutely. If you Absolutely. reduce cognitive load and and just get right into what it is they need to learn, then students learn well. So we Absolutely. do a lot of work with cognitive load with teachers, but it, it, I just made the connection when you were talking about the teacher's brain all day long. I don't think anybody above the teachers is thinking of their cognitive load. I'm and, sorry, and administrator. And what a time to have this conversation, right? We're at the peak of teacher shortage. We're at the peak of people leaving the profession. Yes. It, it's, you have to see this from a economic lens. You have to see this from a social lens and go like, this this system is breaking down in front of our eyes and we have to use every tool in our in our playbook to address it yeah I, it's it's the whole of course the whole ai conversation is fascinating to me and i want to draw a little bit from your book you talk about uh artificial intelligence being able to correct students assignments and offer personalized feedback so how do you see that helping out a teacher other than the obvious. Yeah, just saving them time and-, and, and, and <laughs> Right, right. Not bringing back graded, grading home. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it's, it remains the holy grail of AI. So, there, I mean, there, it's important to acknowledge that AI in education is not a fringe uh, idea, is not a, a set of really crazy people working in, in mad labs and like five of them in the world. No, it's like there is an active researcher community around this. And, and I think the holy sure. grail remains solving um, higher ed or grading higher, higher order thinking work um, with, with better and better AI. Universally, that is the, if you, if you go across research in 2022, you will see that that is the general theme. Um, we've, we've gone, we've gone way past 
checking one word against another to reading sentences and comparing uh, the parts of speech or parts of the sentence and trying to compare whether it, it aligns with what we're going for. And then we get to an even higher level where we are actually determining what the argument is, what the what the idea behind or the meaning behind the content the student is writing. So, you know, the the in, in this phase, the, 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 we're at a very early stage also because most of the AI around grading student work is still at, if you, if you focus on, um, a lot of the work is in, in the math and the sciences where they're comparing equations. And so there's not as much understanding language and language is the truest representation of human thought and human understanding. And so we're slowly moving towards understanding, you know, simple sentences, understanding paragraphs, understanding full essays. And I mean, it cannot be understated that, you know, um, teachers and school administrators and assessment designers around the world are waiting for every opportunity to increase the, the, the volume of student response they can capture so that they can grade it so that they can understand the student thinking deeper. Uh, they want more open-ended questions. And this, if you see our, our, our progress in assessments over the past three decades, it's been moving more and more towards open-ended work. But what that means is we've ended up adding so much um, professional development pressure on school districts to now train teachers in preparing students for assessment and uh, grading mock assessments in schools and then uh, having uh, centers where these assessments are are, are administered and, and, and tested and, and graded. So I think the biggest benefit would be that when these technologies can be tested at, at state and national levels, and we know that they work and we know that we can assess student work. And you know that a very good example of this would be the SAT. But then the beauty of the democratization aspect of this AI, when it's common knowledge, when it's shared across everyone, where you know companies are not protecting these uh, proprietary methods to do this, and and state education ag agencies are sharing their work, is where we can have the same fidelity of grading that happens at the at the state level happens at every school level. And again, now that means that every piece of student assignment, uh, student facing assignment that a teacher a teacher gives. Can be can be graded to that fidelity. So I mean, obviously there is a massive time-saving element here, but I think more than time-saving, it is that we will be able to ask students, we'll be able to enter or capture student thinking better than we have ever done before, um, because we can ask them questions that require them to, you know, give open-ended answers. Well, and if you think about it, so I run a consulting company, and even though everyone gets their quote-unquote annual review it's kind of silly because by the time you get to the annual review, I mean, I know how everyone in my company thinks, how they perform, where their strengths are, where their challenges are. And we are always engaging with one another, pushing one another to new levels, et cetera. You don't wait for that point in time. And I feel like it's because we are constantly taking in that information, constantly taking in that information. So when states feel comfortable um, or countries feel comfortable thinking they have some process in place to gather that data, then we can stop this idea that it's March 24th, everybody stop everything and sit in front of a computer or a paper test and take it. 
I think what you're talking about here is brilliant because if, uh, you know, if every time a student is engaging in in an activity, writing answers, responses, designing, whatever, the computer is is parsing that and really um, analyzing it. The other thing the computer can do that we as humans don't do as well is be able to look at trends across all of that data. And, you know, I may not remember a conversation I had with a student in September, if it's May, but the computer will. And it could really get a much better view of a student that would really propel our being able to help them be more and more successful in their lives. Three three hundred percent. And I think that also I want to add to that. Three hundred. I'm gonna hold three sixty. Three sixty percent. Three. We're we're breaking the rules of maths here. Three sixty percent. But um, I, I want to add to that that there. You know, if 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 the listeners are not already caught up with us, there is a a faction of the academic community in in education research which is saying that, you know, formative assessments, as we understand them, are kind of not making any sense anymore. And summative assessments as we understand them are not making any sense anymore. Summative assessments because of the idea you talked about, which is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that one gate when we can capture uh, learning constantly and measure it. You don't really need to wait for that perfect learning moment where the students are, you know, uh, cramming it all in, uh, especially in countries where that is all that matters. In the US, we still have a lot of frequent unit assessment or mid-year assessment, all that. But but in many countries where there's this one gate at the end of the year, which kind of determines the trajectory of your life. And right. then you tie, the idea, you tie that with, with, with the trends idea that you're talking about seeing patterns over time. But then the critique around summative, uh, formative assessments is that they're, 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 they're weak indicators because we teach certain material and we teach certain skills and we just immediately um, ask questions against that exact uh, material. And so we don't really measure for transfer. We don't really measure for long-term memory. And so even if we have abundance of data on, on, for, on, summative, on formative assessments, does that data, even if it reflects positively or, or, or extremely negatively on a student's work, does it really mean they're able to transfer that to other scenarios, other grades, other subjects, other problems in life? So there is a critique on both of these. And so I think what oh, we wait, generally jump want... In here. I have to jump in here. For yeah, my yeah. LADIC teachers who might be listening, this is where the five levels of facilitation questions get involved because we found that too often teachers ask those comprehension questions, you know, did you get it? And we push them to offer those application questions. Can the student apply this to some new new information? Can the student metacognitively think about the way that they think? So there's definitely, I'm going to say formative assessment works if you're pushing it up to that level. That's it right. does for that, for that, we need to be able to capture more of that student response, more depth of that student response, and assess it immediately. Yes. So I guess at the end of the day, it will work if we do it right. And if we can only do it right when we have assistance from machines that you know help us process that amount of information. Yes, yes, brilliant. Imagine if a computer could be sitting and listening into your facilitative conversation with a student and then parse it and gather data from that. Yeah, my, my whole my whole theory, my whole model around AI is, you know, we've we've got to start treating it as the most brilliant teaching assistant in the classroom. Yes. So 
you focus on good pedagogy and this this instrument the system captures all that information and is providing constantly channeling what's going on summarizing it back to the teacher so very much what you said mm, mm. all right so tell us about open curriculum right so open curriculum um is a lot of things and has been a lot of things over the years. It's a nonprofit set up with a very simple idea, which is to um, make the best educational ideas available to every teacher in the world. What that translates to in practice is uh, we've created one of the simplest unit and lesson uh, planning tools um, in the market, and it's actually free. Uh, that's because we're, we're really invested in this idea that when you can get a teacher to spend time um, to create conscious and to have conscious energy and time towards designing curriculum. It could be at the most simplest level. It could be putting together a lesson plan. It could be at a higher abstraction, but just being conscious and choosing um, activities, choosing strategies, choosing um, the, the flow of the lesson, they can create magic and reflect the needs of their local uh, classrooms and, and what students really you know, the moment, the zeitgeist, which you can't capture with any level of abstracted universal curriculum. There is magic to universal curriculum. Uh, there's magic to thoughtfully designed uh, standards aligned curriculum that's rigorous, but I think none of it can capture the need of what your community, what your, what your students really need at that moment. And so, uh, you know, we've done a lot of things over the years to try to solve some of the hardest problems with us. I think most importantly, when people think about lesson planning, people just, you know, just doesn't, there's a you factor to it. Like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's just too time consuming. Right, and, and right, right. We, we, we don't want package curriculum, but- or I know what I'm teaching. Why do I have to write that down like that? You know? Exactly. And like, I, I, you know, they, they hate, they generally hate like bundles of ready-made curriculum, but it also saves a lot of time. And so the goal has been like, how do you reduce the amount of time to, like how do you reduce lesson planning from being a 50 minute activity to being a four to five minute activity where all that good curriculum that exists that highly vetted curriculum that standards aligned curriculum is shown to you just in the right moment based on what you want to choose and then where a lot of the the ai piece comes in is we 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 read and dig up excellent literature over the past 30 years uh, in education, in education psychology, in learning sciences. And we try to show those as like simple prompts and suggestions because we understand what element or what part of the lesson you're focusing. You know, if you're focusing on the exit ticket, we know exactly the best suggestions from all those years on how do you close a uh, ELA lesson focusing on poetry. Um, so, so to surface all of that magic is, is where open curriculum focuses. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a large, large, complex problem, and I wish I knew where the this ends and begins. But um, we're we're solving it, and I think um, there are really big things to come ahead for us in that in that problem area. It's fascinating. I, I'm thinking. So I have to be very vague about this, but we are currently working with a large school district designing their first virtual high school, and they're designing it around our framework of LATIC, which is very exciting. But, you know, all it's like moving parts as you know, we joke about like we're trying to change the tires on the car as it's driving down the road because school is about to start. Yeah, we're just getting the learning management system in place and getting everybody logged in and teachers are stressed because while they are loving the idea of where we're headed, there's that thought of like, wait, we have to put these lessons on the online, etc. 
And my comment talking to the consultants who are working on the account was, you know, we designed this around real world problems, problem based tasks with rubrics that tell the kids, you know, what, what's expected of them. And then activity lists of myriad ways in which they can learn. Plus, of course, we expect that they will be out seeking out learning as well and coordinating with the teachers. And I said, oh, just give the kids the problem and and the, the task and all of that and, and just let them run with it. And when it's time for them to come to your class, just start the period by saying, so where are you guys at? What do you need to know? Like, mm-hmm. The kids would mm-hmm. drive that learning. Mm-hmm. But, but you have me intrigued because I would love to have the AI component to that where it could actually follow kids in their thinking in designing a product. Totally. Yeah, no, absolutely happy to have a, a deeper conversation on what's possible. I know, we might have to have some fun here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, we talk about being in the fourth industrial revolution, you know, in in schools, everybody learns about the first or second industrial revolution. But we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, where fundamentally, if you think about computers, first, you know, back in, well, the first time we had personal computers, that was, you know, back in the I want to say 80s, maybe 90s, well, 80s, yeah, some, you know, some level. Anyway, the, the key there was that they replicated things we could do, you know. So instead of you reading the book to the kid, the, the computer reads the book to the kid. You know, instead of them, uh, instead of a worksheet, they do it online. It was just very much replication. And then computers started to enhance what we do. I like to call it that transformational practice of allowing us to do things we couldn't do before, such as a simulation where we could all, like, now fly or we could go to the bottom of the ocean, which we couldn't normally do in a classroom. But the fourth industrial revolution is really talking about networks of computers that are passing data and actually thinking, it's a lot about artificial intelligence, to the point where computers are now designing the next computer programs and kind of don't need us. So there's all this fear that in the fourth industrial revolution, eventually the computers will take over and like wipe us out. So will artificial intelligence replace teachers? I, I, I truly... And if you say yes, well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's the end of teaching as a profession. <laughs> well, you can't find toll booth collectors. So yeah. well, let's, let's, let's save the teaching profession. Let's save the teaching profession. And we will, because I, I you know, knowing, knowing pretty well the details of what's going on what computers are capable of i think we're 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 either really far from it or we will never see that day um i think the teaching profession might evolve but the the role that teachers play after you have um removed all these mundane pieces and repetitive pieces of figuring out where students are and what their true needs are as humans. The difference between figuring out what their needs are as students and figuring out their true needs as as humans. And I think what what today's um, AI in education systems do really fairly well is figuring out what step in the progression of learning they're at. And I think that is so much further away from just figuring out where the human is and so we we will be moving towards a profession that is focused and invested in the holistic development of the individual. And if you think about it, society doesn't have a construct for such a person beyond parents. And there's only a limited capacity to which we can expect parents to be 
you know, completely invested in every detail of skill development and knowledge capture of a student. So teachers will be in this beautiful hybrid space of being invested in an individual's long-term holistic growth that builds on a foundation of content and skills. And I think that AI will continue to improve and make teachers' jobs easier, but I don't think the AI has any business in being, uh, you know, being in a classroom without a teacher. Uh, and and again, that's not because I I am touchy feely about teachers' jobs. It's just the capability does not exist, and I don't see it existing for a couple more decades. Maybe when we when we have the Learning Unwrap podcast in 2040, I may have a different answer. But there are so many fundamental in problems. In with, 2040, with, you may have a different host. We we <laughs> we hope not. We hope not. But um, I think you know, computers and AI have such uh, AI today has has such limited ways to model content knowledge and pedagogical content knowledge, uh, like the, the tools and the techniques and the methods don't exist. So to imagine that we would be doing things that teachers do today, it's just so far-fetched and impossible to me. Again, I want to remind everyone, I don't say this because I care about teachers. I say it on a very, very <laughs> cold scientific level. It's not possible. So don't stress out about it. Just use the damn thing to support <laughs> your instruction. <laughs> I love that. You know, I feel like I say this every week. So perhaps that is a testament to how passionate I am about this podcast and my guests. And a special shout out to Marisa Schomer, who is our uh, producer here, because she gets great guests on this on this show. So I could talk to you forever. I have a feeling you'll be a guest who's coming back. Uh, so, uh, but in the interest of time, let's unwrap the learning. If a teacher is interested in getting started with AI in the classroom, what would you suggest? Ooh, okay. Um, this was going to be easy, but it's, it's slightly tricky because the phrasing of the question. I would suggest go get the book in any case, but, but you- I suggest that too. Right. <laughs> but you but you shouldn't be interested in bringing AI to the classroom, I think, or bringing AI and learning or in schools. You should be invested in reducing your effort and getting more done in terms of higher order learning, in terms of understanding what's going on in student minds and making them excel. And if you believe that there is a constraint, a human constraint, a time constraint, a, a practicality constraint, you will naturally be drawn to the contents of the book and how they can help you. But do not be attracted to the trend. Uh, it can be kind of, if you Google it, if you try to figure out how to bring AI to your classroom or in learning, you're going to end up in on 50 websites that are just going to be an absolute waste of your time. So I would say start off with good canonical pieces of text that can guide your thinking around the topic. And again, focus on the students. Everything else is just noise. The techniques will help you, but using AI should not be your goal. And Farron, I love the way you framed that, that it's really, it's about teachers. If you're sitting there thinking, wow, I spend a lot of time doing repetitive work or, or I don't have any time to get to that, et cetera, consider how AI might enhance your particular situation and allow you to dive much more deeply into what your students are all about, what they need, and where you can take them. Absolutely. And thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Marisa. I, I think you've, you've nailed the point. All right. Well, thank you for being my guest. This was exciting. Thank you. I appreciate it. Such a joy. And I will be back for sure. You will be back. And 
for our listeners, artificial intelligence in schools. And also definitely check out opencurriculum.org and sign up to get uh, information as it's coming out because it sounds like it's, you know, the world is changing on a daily basis. Way too fast. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Farron. Thank you, Nancy. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.